0: Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. We're back with another episode of The Short Stacks, our shorter conversations with authors about their process and their books. Today, I'm joined by Anita Devlin, who wrote Sober along with her son, Mike Devlin. Sober is a joint memoir which explores addiction and sobriety from the points of both the child addicted to drugs and the mother who is grappling with that reality. As you know, The Stacks is a completely free show. And if you want to help to be a part of making this show happen every week, I would encourage you to check out Joining the Effort on Patreon. That's a website where you contribute to the work we're doing on the show for as little as a dollar a month. Patreon allows for us to launch new content like these Short Stacks episodes. The fun thing about Patreon is that you get perks in return for your generosity. My personal favorite is our virtual book club, where we meet up to discuss The Stacks book club picks through video chat. It's a great way to connect with this awesome community of readers. If you're interested in being a part of The Stacks Pack community, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks. If you prefer one-time contributions, check out paypal.me slash Pod. Okay, now I'm asking you for my big favor. Can you go write a rating and a review for this show. The word about the stacks is building, and the more ratings and reviews we get, the more people we can reach, which in turn means exciting guests, better audio quality, and many more giveaways. If you'd like to take a minute, wherever you're listening, especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, and write a short review. Okay, now it's time for the short stacks. I'm very excited for you all to meet author Anita Devlin. Let's go. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Short Stacks. I'm here today with Anita Devlin. Anita is the co-author of a book called Sober about her son and his struggles to get clean in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. Yeah. Anita,
1: welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tracy.
0: I'm so excited you're here. So... I want to talk to you about your book, but I also want to talk to you about your son, which is a little bit of a departure from how we do the short stacks, but I think it'll be fun. So the first thing is, in about 30 seconds or less, can you tell me about the book?
1: Well, the book is titled Sober, and it's an acronym for Son of a Bitch, Everything's Real. Mm. So it basically encompasses all things in life that can happen. Mine happens to be about my son's illness of of addiction um, and a lot of other things in between. But we wrote it side by side. We co-authored it. And um the main purpose behind writing it is because we wanted to, I wanted to reach out and help other parents that were going through what I had been going through to try and let them understand that they're not alone with everything that's going on because people obviously don't like to talk about this. It's a difficult subject and people hide, they're isolated and I think that when you start writing about something and people read it and say, "Oh my God, that's what I'm going through. That's how I feel," people start talking about it, and yeah. that's when magic starts to happen. You kind of give them permission to talk about it out loud.
0: Totally, it opens up a space for people to feel comfortable with their with their struggles because you don't want to be the only one, right? You don't. No one be wants, wants to talk
1: about struggles. Yeah. right? everyone As wants but, yeah. to be perfect in that in that facade. Yeah, and yes. you don't
0: want people to. To not understand it and be like, "Oh, that sounds hard," you know, like you really want to have that connection and have someone to talk to. So, I mean, obviously, this book is a great public service um, for people to understand your experience and Mike's experience. Mike is your son, and he's the co-author of this book. Um, why did you feel compelled to write the book together? I feel like there's lots of books that are a mother's struggle or a mother's journey, but you guys wrote it together. So, what prompted that thinking?
1: Well, you have to have both sides of the story if you're a parent on the other side that's just beginning this journey, figuring out that their son or daughter has an addiction problem, you have no clue what's coming down the pike. So, I really believe that getting Mike allowing people to get into his head mm-hmm. sharing all the struggles and the awful details of everything that was happening with him helps you as a parent to understand what's going on with your own child and Obviously, that's what we all want to do is help our children and know where to turn. And even though we might be their parents, we have to understand that this is something we can't fix. Right. This is not about saving our children. It's about reaching out for the proper help, understanding what they're going through to be able to sit back with clarity. And it's pretty much the same for all of them. So he really allowed people to just climb into his head and lay it out. He just got naked. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was really helpful. That's what I hear from parents all the time.
0: Yeah, that it's helpful to hear his side too, because they understand your side.
1: There are two sides to every story, right? right? Probably three or four. Right. And. That's when my daughter steps in as the sibling and my husband. And there are lots of sides to this because it's a family disease. Everyone is affected in the family by addiction.
0: Right. Let me ask you about your husband because he doesn't write any of his own sections, but there is a letter that we hear from him. Was he just not not interested in writing? Did he have like, ai don't, I'm not a writer or was he just not like, I was just, he felt, it felt like an absence for me. I was like, where's Michael? This Because they're Mike and Michael which is a little confusing, I'm sure, over (laughs) audio, but Michael is your husband and Mike is your son.
1: Because it basically was just going to be my son and I Mm -hmm. writing the story. And my husband is, um, he's quiet Mm. and private. And I think that there are a lot of emotions that he really didn't want to share. Okay. But now what he does do since we've gone through all the help since the book was written and working together as a family to come together as a family. Um, he was always there. He just wasn't as vocal. Got it. As I was. And, um, but now he's so involved because mm. parents call me literally every day. Wow. Emails, texts, phone calls. They come to my house. They sit down. What do we do? Don't know what to do. And my husband sits down and he helps the fathers. The fathers have a difficult time because men don't talk about things like women do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I should throw this out just while you mentioned it. People can go to your website if they want to reach out to you. It's anitadevlin.com. Yes. Perfect. So I'll put that in the show notes along with everything else, but just wanted to throw that out there. If you're also have a family member and you're like, I would love to talk to someone who's been through that, obviously check out the book, but reach out to Anita as well. Let me ask you about the process of writing together. Or writing separately and putting it together. How did how did that come about? How did you guys write, mostly you and Mike, but also Alex, your daughter, a little bit too?
1: Well, obviously, none of us are actual writers, especially <laughs> not me. I mean, I I looked through the book again last night for the first time in a while and said, oh my god. Um, which we published it independently. We actually did get an offer to have the book published. And all kinds of things came into play and it was, you know, they wanted film rights and they, <clears throat> they wanted to take over our branding on the website and we just stayed away from it all. We just wanted to do a nice quiet family mm-hmm. project. So we ended up self-publishing and um, when I first started. I really, I just turned 50 when I started writing. I'd started a blog back then called On Fire at 50 Hmm. because I felt like creatively I was doing a lot of projects and I was also going through menopause at the same time. I was bursting. (laughs) I was was ready to explode. On fire, literally and
0: figuratively. On
1: fire at 50. So I started writing this blog and the very first thing I decided to write about was about this. And I called it, my first post, No Room for Judgment. Mm. because this is this illness is surrounded by judgment. And um, I read that first post, and then I said, you know what? All the women that reached out to me talking about this, oh my God, I can't believe you're writing about this. Back then, no one was talking about it. Right. What, what year? 2000... I was bombarded. Uh, where are we now? 2018. 2000. And I was bombarded by a woman reaching out. And I said, oh my God, it's again, giving people permission to talk about something. So I started keeping a bit of a journal about how I was feeling about everything that was going on with my son. And I showed it to him and I said, why don't we write this side by side for the exact reasons I -hmm. talked about earlier? And I started writing. I was having a really hard time. The next thing I know, boom, he sends me back two chapters. And I said, oh my God, this is going to be like a competition now because he really started pouring it out. He was so good at it. His chapters are much better than mine. But then we just tried to do it. It was difficult because of the timeline. That was really hard to do. We had gone through, again, there's so much that's not in this book Mm -hmm. and I didn't put it in there. But now if I had to rewrite it, it would all be in there.
0: Like what kind of stuff is not in there that you would have liked to have in there?
1: Listen, my kids were basically, you know, we had a great life. My husband and I worked very hard our entire lives. Yeah. And we had everything that you could possibly want in life. And I'm talking materialistically because right. back then I always thought that was all that, that mattered. That was all it was, right. Yeah. The beautiful house, the perfect cars and the great clothes. Well, in the crisis, when the crisis hit. 2009, eight, nine, 2008. That crisis. Yes, okay. <laughs> everything blew up and we lost everything overnight. Wow. Everything went from having a lot to having nothing. And back to back my son's addiction. We had right. to send him off to treatment. It all came around at the same time. So it was very uh it was a very very frightening time of everything we had to do because I now did not have all the means of getting him the help that he needed. It's, um, it was difficult. And I had to go to my family and I had to borrow money. I was the one that was always lending people money and taking Mm. care of everyone else. So it was a really hard place to be because that isn't it. in the
0: book talking about where the money I know that the sh- money struggles are mentioned but I that was actually one of my questions for you which is where did the money come from to send Mike to treatment
1: I went to my aunt and uncle I have a really incredible um strong greek family mm-hmm. and you know I went to my aunt and uncle who were basically like the patriarch and matriarch my parents had passed away and it was very frightening going to your aunt and uncle and telling them what was going on I mean right. who was talking about addiction right so you really had to, I I had to, I realized I'm either going to be completely, completely isolated, living behind the walls of my beautiful house, or I'm going to open up and I'm going to step out and reach out for help. Reaching out for help is the most important thing anyone can do, no matter what the struggle is that's going on.
0: Yeah. Just taking the initiative and saying, I need, I'm in need. Yeah. It's hard. That's hard to do. It sounds so simple when you're not in need. But when you are in need, it seems like the most impossible thing, which definitely, I mean, that theme comes up in the book. You talk about, you know, the only way that this was going to work was if Mike believed that he needed to get help, which is a huge question that I have for you. What do you recommend to families or loved ones whose loved one is struggling with addiction, but they're not ready for help? They haven't had the moment like Mike has in the beginning in the hotel room, which I won't give up too much information, but. How do you suggest that they support love. their loved one?
1: Love. The only thing that, and again, I'm no expert mm-hmm. on addiction, but I really believe that you have to stand back. All you have to do is tell your child over and over, I love you. I am here for you. When you are ready to want the help, I am always going to be here for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I don't... I don't touch upon it as much here. You know, uh, you read the book. My father was a Greek Orthodox priest. Correct. I faith was always a very big factor in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and when all this started happening, I really believe someone had given to my family. We call it the mati, the evil eye. I believe that all these bad things were happening for, for a reason that I couldn't explain. So. You really have to – I had to reach out from my own faith because my fear is what I was holding on to the whole time. Mm. Once I just started very slowly letting go of that fear and reaching back out, I started speaking about all of this. And I spoke and I still speak all around the country at different churches. And I started – I was asked to speak about something for Lent. And I started reading a lot about the connection between, believe it or not, addiction and Lent. And something, three lines, just really, this is the way I can describe to you what parents need to do. I looked up to the mother of all mothers and I followed her lead. I never, ever left my son's side. No matter how many people left mine in the process, I never left his side. Mm -hmm. I knew I couldn't fix him. I knew I couldn't save him. But I had to be there for him as he tried to save himself. Right. And once he surrendered and said he wanted the help, that's when we step in. You can
0: step in. So you just suggest that people kind of be available, be present, be consistently. Love them. Love And let
1: them know. Right. Continuously. Full, full. You want to continue on this path. It's not going to be in my home and with my family.
0: Right.
1: The second you want help, I am right I'm here. here.
0: It's, a, it's available for you. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. How much of the book is the same in its printed version as where you guys started with your writing? Like, was this always the book you intended to write or did it change in the process?
1: Look, if I could add to it now would I really want to be in this book, it would be a completely different story. (laughs) Sure. Um... It would really be more about son of a bitch. Everything's real about life period, mm. because this whole time we basically wrote about addiction in this book. I didn't have any professional guidance. The fact that we had lost everything. I did not have the money to hire graphic designers. I did not, I couldn't afford to do it. I had to do it all by myself at mm-hmm. 50, teaching myself how to do everything on my own. And I'm sure, you know, everyone's got their mother's calling and asking, how do I do this? How do I do that? All the time with technology. Sure. I taught myself <laughs> how to do all of it. And it was such a struggle. Sure. And it was exhausting.
0: And empowering, I'm sure, also in when you look back at what you were able now, to create
1: now absolutely when i look back on it but it was um it was interesting i mean people reached out to us magazines i mean we have a great press page on my website oprah put us on her blog almost immediately on the huffington post people woman's day did a story women want to hear from women who want to tell a story that's going to help other women is it about being a mother Is it about being a woman? Is it about learning through life's journey, through struggles, where you come out, how much you learn about yourself? No matter how beaten down you are, I mean, I am, I know that I still want to help someone else with what I've gone through. And I think that's the sisterhood. Yeah. I think that that's the power of being a woman that not enough women use. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of celebrities that are out there who have gone through what I've gone through, who have this incredible voice, but they're not really sharing their big stories, which angers me. Yeah. Because it's that facade and it's, it's not, kids are dying and these are not addicts that are dying. These are our sons and daughters. Right. And if your voice can help one person, you have to open your mouth. Yeah. I believe that.
0: I, I mean, I believe that. Wholeheartedly, obviously, I started a podcast so that I could have conversations like this and amplify voices like yours I love it. and mics. And, you know, I, I am a huge proponent of just reading as a way to learn about other people's struggles. And, you know, not every book resonates with every person or every author, but that's okay. If one book resonates with one person and leads them to act or speak or engage, like that's why I read in the hopes that I'm going to find a book that I'm going to be like, yes, let me tell the world about this book that taught me about X, Y, and Z. So I think, you know, it's powerful that you guys made the decision to write your own story without you know, getting too intimidated by not being writers or not having a fancy graphic designer or whatever. You were like, fuck that. I'm going to get this done because it's too important to wait around for the right moment. Like this is the time I could, you know, all the things you're saying. I think that that's powerful and important. And I sometimes feel like as much as I love, you know, flowery, beautiful writing, I also really love a story that is clear, and that's what you guys have presented, a really clear story and a narrative that makes sense and people can understand and relate to. So it's not always about being a writer. Sometimes it's just about telling a story, you know?
1: And I think that the most important part of all of that is thats is that you, and it's easy to lose sight of, but you have got to hold your authenticity in one hand and your integrity in the other yep. as tight as you can. No matter what you do. No matter what. Yeah. Yes.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Because you guys felt compelled to tell the story and you said, fuck it, we're going to tell the story. And that's the book that we got. And you can feel that rawness and that integrity and that commitment to the struggle and the illness of addiction.
1: You got to give people hope.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's worth sharing that Mike is a brand new dad. He's got a, he's got a, your grandma now. Yes. And the kid's super cute. I've seen pictures on Instagram. Little
1: Benjamin. Yeah, yes, super six cute, months little, old. Chubby
0: little baby. So, I mean, I mean, it works out sometimes. You guys made it work out.
1: We've made it work out for now, but it's you can struggle. never be naive right. because this illness can come back. is something he will battle for the rest of his life. Right. But I know now that he has done the work, that he has the tools, he has an incredible fellowship, he has great support, that God forbid anything ever happened, he knows where to turn to. I, ha- I am not worried about that.
0: Aside from yourself, your husband, your son, and your daughter, who was the first person you let read this book, the finished book? Do you remember?
1: Well, I actually had a girlfriend that was editing the whole way through she would sit in Central Park in her little lawn chair every day uh-huh. with her red pen. So she was, my friend Jerry was definitely the one that, that read it first. No, I mean, I think I, I sent it to a couple a bunch of girlfriends of at the once. same time. Yeah. So your friends. Yeah. Your female friends. Yes.
0: That's awesome. And has there been, I mean, you mentioned Oprah put it on her list. Has there been anybody that's read the book that's reached out to you that you've been like, whoa, I can't believe they read the book. Like, exciting celebrity or a person that you would never have thought, even a non-celebrity, but just a person who reached out to you that really connected. Well, it was
1: definitely the magazines. I mean, Sports Illustrated reached out and NCAA did a massive story.
0: That's so awesome.
1: Um, And then when Women's Day, the editor-in-chief at uh, Women's Day reached out and they did a really beautiful story as well. Um, I mean, there's so many things that we did. There's so many different articles. I will tell you this integrity, which was so important. We were asked to do, listen, getting on talk shows would have been amazing. <laughs> now remember still my husband had just gone back to Wall Street. We moved back to New York City and we were starting over, starting over again in our fifties mm. financially. I, my son and I had requests and I won't say which shows they were, but there were four or five to go on television talk shows with mm-hmm. the book. And we said no to all of them because the reasons, you know, one of them wanted me on saying, oh, we want to have you on for our Mother's Day episode. And this $10,000 you're going to receive because you're going to win this whole thing. And it's all about being your son's hero. And I said, no, I'm not my son's <laughs> hero. He is our hero. Like you have this all wrong. Right. And then someone else wanted us to go on and you know, wanted my son to go on and talk about things and said, Oh, you're the face of addiction. And it was just, you know, there was so much. This was a couple of years ago. The book's been out for four years, but right. people just didn't understand. They still don't understand. Sure. People are the media and the journalists are still catching up. They want the horror stories. They want the pictures on the front page, right? People falling out of their cars with needles hanging out of their arms. It's such incredible bullshit. The way mm. it's portrayed through the media, right? It's frightening. It's sensationalized. Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, let me ask you, for people who like your book, are interested in your book, what are some other books or movies or TV shows or things that you feel like are good portrayals or would be helpful for people who are either interested in or going through something similar that your family went through?
1: Well, you've got two movies that just came out, Beautiful Boy, okay. David and Nick mm-hmm. Um I saw it. Wonderful. Okay, it's understand on my list. better. Mm-hmm. You can understand more about the dynamics of the family, and then there's the other new one that's out with uh, Julia Roberts. Ben is back.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll I put believe it in the that's show what notes. it's called. I'll find out.
1: I, I haven't seen it yet, okay. but I heard it is just really good. Absolutely beautiful portrayal of getting into the family and seeing the dynamics of what actually happens within the family. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very good friend who also wrote a book recently. She just made it to the New York Times best audio, top 100 audiobooks. It's called If You Love Me, mm-hmm. written by Maureen Kavanaugh, about her journey with her daughter. Magnificent story. Beautiful book. Um, You know, those are obviously. Those are the
0: ones that stick out to you. Yes. Okay. I've read a lot of books um, about you don't know this on me, but everyone listening does. I love nonfiction. So I've read a lot of books about drug and addi- drugs and addiction. And there's a book that came out this year called Dope Sick. By, yes. Did excellent. you read that? Oh, yeah. yeah by Beth Macy. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that one was really interesting. I enjoyed it. She presents um, a book a bigger scope it's yes. less about specifically the family's journey and it engages with you know the companies that right. that sell the drugs the pharmaceutical, drugs and, yeah, yeah, the pharmaceutical companies pharma. and then more about the drug dealing and that part and law enforcement but it's an interesting it's an interesting book that positions that your book kind of can be a part of that narrative she's doing a much bigger picture but your book yeah. kind of slides in towards the end she leans a lot more into the families but she also takes a lot of care to um, center the families as well.
1: You know, I, when I started being asked to speak Mm -hmm. on this topic, I was so nervous about it. And I started, you know, collecting statistics and writing Mm. about big pharma and getting up. And then I realized that's not who I am. All I know is my truth.
0: Right. And my family
1: story. Yeah. And sharing that the people that connect in the room, I started changing gears on what I speak about, right, and recently spoke in New York last week before coming out here, and It was a room of five hundred women and um you know, I really, really kind of got down and dirty and started really talking about what I've learned through all of this mm. about friendship about being there for one another. It goes all the way back to eight, almost nine years ago to that first blog post blog post called No Room for Judgment. I really got into everyone's faces about the judgment and talked about what I made the first call when I finally came out of hiding and I picked up the phone and called the first person that I wanted to talk about and tell them what was going on. And all I heard on the other end of the line was silence. And... It made me feel so much more alone. The isolation was so intense. And I looked at all these women and I said, none of us should ever make one another feel that way. No one. Great. And we are, we're all, you know, crying and moaning about being empty nesters and our kids are gone. And who am I going to take care of? And you know, that's a big problem to begin with anyway, with all the, you know, over caring of our kids. And I said, you know, look around. Look next to you. Look at the woman who's sitting next to her across the table. Your kids might be gone. And we all you don't have to be a mother to have that gene. As mm-hmm. a woman, you just want to take care mm-hmm. of everyone and everything. Let's start taking care of each other. Whether or not you understand what someone's going through, whether it's their divorce, whether it's, you know, their kid in jail or it's an illness they don't understand or addiction, whatever it is, you have to start stepping up and being there for each other. We have to be this tribe that we all claim to be.
0: Let me ask you, your friend that you called that first phone call and you laid it out and you heard silence, what would you say to someone who receives that phone call would be the answer that you would have wanted to hear? What would you wanted to have her have said back to you in that moment?
1: I'm on my way over. Let's have some tea. I'm here for you, whatever you need. I don't understand what it's about, but I'll never leave your side.
0: Correct. Okay. Okay. I just think that's worth saying what what is a good response because I do think sometimes when something like addiction or maybe illness like a cancer or something comes into your loved one's life, sometimes people are paralyzed by not knowing what to do or what to say. So I think it's important to also share tools for people. You know, we all respond so different to things and grief and tragedy and all that stuff. It's like you never know. So I think it's helpful to hear what is a good answer? What is a great what is a good way to respond and it's so easy to say, right? I'm on my way. What can I do?
1: How An- can I help? Another very scary answer is, you know, a lot of women that call me, tell me they'll reach out to a family member or a good friend and they'll tell that person, oh my God, whatever you do, don't tell anyone. You know, I always have these three <laughs> oh, words no. that line up. You know, the first thing you think when this is happening is complete denial. Not my kid. Right. It's not happening to my family. My family's perfect. And then the next, the next thing that comes in when you, you give into that denial, you have these other three words that start banging around in your head telling you, don't tell anyone. Mm. What happens to you when you don't tell anyone? What happened to me, I should say, Mm -hmm. is that, like I said, I just went into complete retrieval mode. I became as sick as my son at this point because I was lying all the time, lying about why he wasn't at family functions. I was lying just like him. You're hiding for him? Yes, I I became sicker than my son. Right. So that's a whole nother that's a route that no one needs to ever go down. You've got to have your support team. And you know what? I am all for deleting. At my age now I'm almost 59. I still delete people out of my phone. People need to step up and be there for you.
0: Yes, 100%. That's 100%, right? I have a question from the book. You talk about in the book, you had a hard time understanding why you, why your family, how could this happen to us? And you said that someone spoke in Mike's rehab group, Karen, is that what it's called? Karen Karen. is where he went, yes. Where he went to get treatment. Can you elaborate on what they said that helped you understand why you, if you remember
1: Oh, you're probably referring to the part where we had to go for a few days as a family, Mm -hmm. and And I was really understanding what happens to someone's brain, Mm -hmm. the medical side of it, of what happens to someone's brain. The
0: science of it is what helped you kind of understand. Okay. Yes. I wasn't sure. You kind of alluded to that in the book, but there was a moment where you said like you hadn't really understood it, and then- you did. And I wasn't sure if that was like something specific that someone said, or if it was more just the general understanding the science behind the illness.
1: You know, Mike explains it really simply actually in one of his chapters. um, If you have five kids, he would say, mom, if I went out with four friends on a Saturday night, and we all did drugs, Mm -hmm. Sunday, four of those people could wake up not wanting those drugs again, Mm -hmm. just getting on with their day. But someone like me would wake up and say, I want more of those drugs. Right. And where am I going to get them? And I'll do anything to get them.
0: Right, right. Do you have any plans to write any other books?
1: I think I'm going to write about exactly what I just talked about, just about being a woman and what I've learned. Uh, again, there's so much that we can't even like get in to talk about right mm-hmm. now, but what I've gone through and what I have learned and what has changed me as a woman. And what I think about... The cowering and the hiding and the despair from when I started writing this to where I am now, getting out there. I used to be petrified to public speak, but Hmm. getting up now and just speaking to rooms full, filled with women. And I'm not, I I don't put husbands or men aside, but again, I only know what it feels like to be a mother. Yes. Yes, of course. And so that's what I talk about, but. I know that we're changing lives. I know that it happens every day and maybe I'm the stranger that's giving someone the strength to reach out to help their child or to step out and to do something that they've always been afraid to do just because I I'm not afraid to do anything anymore. Right. It doesn't matter.
0: Right. Right. You've done you've done the hard 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 thing. You got through it. Well, to this point Let me ask you, this is one of my favorite questions, and it's really just because I like snacks. Do you have any reading, I mean, writing snacks or drinks or things that you did during your process of writing the book where it was like, I always have to have my cup of this, or like, I always have this candle lit or like any rituals or snacks or things that you leaned into in your process?
1: I always had my bloodhound at my Mm, feet. Okay. I always had my dog with me. Mm. And she would lay with her big fat head drooling <laughs> on my foot and it was comforting. And I always found that the best time that I started pouring things would come pouring out of me was when it was raining. Interesting. Thank God I didn't live in California. Yeah, you never would have read.
0: You would ha- you'd still be working on the first chapter. Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Dark Rain and My Bloodhound. That's
0: that works. It's not a snack, but the I can In corner of a New York City apartment. New York yeah. City apartment. Yeah. So you could do it right at home. You know, some people have to go out of the house and things. No, I was
1: alone at home.
0: Yeah. You needed to feel enclosed in your own space, like safe and sound. So here's my last question for you. I have a guess that I know the answer, but I won't tell you if I got it right. If you could have one person, dead or alive, read this book, who would you want it to be? My mother. That was my guess.
1: Everything goes back to my mother.
0: Yeah. She feels feels like a strong presence in the book and in your family, and it's really beautiful. Um, she'd pass before the book, but
1: well, you read the part about yeah. basically the exorcism.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So at the end there. of the book, there's a I won't give too much away, but um Anita goes through a process in a church that involves a freeing of her spirit, and it's really it's a really beautiful section. It comes at the end of the book and it's powerful, certainly. Well, I'll let you have, you know, kind of the last word. Is there anything that you want to say to our listeners about the book or, I mean, anything? The floor is yours.
1: No, Um. if anyone wants to go to the website and just wants to reach out and just talk, a lot of people do reach out to strangers and that can be me if they're not getting the help that they need or they're afraid to talk to someone else. They can reach out to me through the website, my, through the email. And, um, I can connect them with people that can help them, whether it's sober living or rehab or just getting family therapy or whatever they might need. That's what we do. Mothers across America are doing that. We all have a great system and different states and different cities and just connecting people is what basically what most people reach out for now.
0: Great. So that's AnitaDevlin.com and it's in the show notes. Anita, thank you so much for coming on today and thank you for writing this book and sharing your story.
1: Thank you for having me, Tracy. Of
0: course, and everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all for listening to The Short Stacks. Thank you to Anita Devlin for joining us today and thank you to Alex Devlin for getting sober into my hands. Remember to support this show and earn awesome perks like our virtual book club, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. And for one-time contributions, go to paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Make sure you're subscribed to the stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple podcasts, take a moment to rate and review the show. Our sound engineer is Jordan Duffy. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, And our theme music is from Tagirajus. This episode of the Short Stacks was created and produced by me.